Welcome back, everybody, to Say Who Say Pod. This is episode 20, early on a Tuesday morning. He's Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. Neither one of us has any idea who is flying that drone over Husky Stadium on Saturday night. Something should be done, though. And look, I, I, know, that, I know that gun rights are a hot topic and people like to talk about those, but there are a fair amount of arms in, 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 the, in the country and in the region of the Pacific Northwest. And I guess there's some danger about, about the background field and all those sort of things. But, like, shouldn't, shouldn't we be able to get rid of this plague of drones? Are you talking about, like, an RPG here? That's... No, no. I was thinking more skeet shooting. Like, duck hunt? Like, you, you, well, you, you might be too young for duck hunt. Oh, have I you remember, ever played? I remember duck hunt. You had to have, yeah. like, the whole separate setup for duck hunt. You had to have the gun. Yeah. You had to have the little, the little freaking laser gun. Like, there's, this seems like it should be a problem that we, that we, we would be able to solve. And instead of clearing up, okay, everybody's got to get off the field because we've got a rogue drone. It happened at two games. It has I, to be the same person, right? I would guess it looked similar, right? Wasn't that what people were saying? I don't know. If yes. They... Well, I have no idea. I, 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 I profess complete ignorance when it comes to the specifics of drones. I consider them all equally annoying. Um, I, I was down on the field. Uh, at that point, because you can go on the field the last eight minutes of, of the game at Husky Stadium, and the the game operations people were all kind of scrambling around trying to like figure out who it was or where it went, and we're like, well, we can't we can't continue the game till it's till it's gone. And so then, when I I was watching the Seahawks game and heard them say on the broadcast that it was a, a UW Athletics drone, I was like, oh, huh, that's that's weird because like UW's people were acting like they had had no clue where it came from, and then. Yeah, as as soon as I showed up to to UW for their Monday press conferences, um, had a, a a handful of people just say like, "Hey, I don't know where they got that from because that was that was not ours." And then it was one of the first things that Kalen DeBoer said too. So I would um, I listen. I'll, I'll I'll put out an offer. If that was your drone, contact me. <laughs> I'm interested in a three thousand word profile. <laughs> Can I put out a different uh, a, a different offer? <laughs> if that was your drone, contact me and I'll arrange for you to be beaten with a stick. <laughs> a small a small stick. No, no, no. Like at least a drumstick. That person's annoying. <laughs> there's nothing. There's nothing that should be. We should not reward this person with attention. They should get corporal punishment. I had somebody in my mentions um, blaming blaming the Seattle City Council. <laughs> somehow i think imp- implying that like <laughs> like they the there should have been some legal ability for somebody to shoot the drone down and and not have to worry about consequences uh, oh yeah that was me <laughs> it was in your mentions yeah I, I was the one that was advocating that idea we, I, i've got some i've got some questions about the game can i can i can i ask you those yes, yes. they're very very pressing so i was i was in maine in a cabin it was. I mean, wind, winds were twenty to forty miles an hour. There was no television in the cabin, so I've I've seen the game, but I did not watch the game live. Uh, also, went through a, a weekend in which uh, I tapped out the battery on our car while at that cabin because I did not properly turn off the headlights. Oh, First no. time in my life I've done that. That was that was uh, that was that was great in the morning. Like, there's nothing quite as horrible as doing something that is painfully inconvenient. And having it be unambiguously your fault when you're on a trip with your spouse, like that, that sucks. <laughs> um, and then yesterday we got a flat tire, which was not my fault, which I changed on the side of the Merritt Parkway. Um, 
also also really enjoyable. So we've got a donut on our Subaru right now that I've got to got to go get replaced. But in between all of those, um, was there a song played at the beginning of the fourth quarter? Like we we talked about this. They were they were trying the light show last year, right? And they were like we we did the rip off of the Michigan State song. What, what was that? The Doctor Feelgood. I wish uh, I wish I'd been paying attention. There was a light show. Um, people did pull their cell phones out. I did not take note of of uh, what song played though. During Michigan State, it was Nirvana, and I like Nirvana. I don't know how the 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 sort of the the ethos of that band meshes with big time college athletics. <laughs> like <laughs> as I was out there and singing. Here we are now, entertain us. I was thinking, like, well, how how would Kurt feel about this? <laughs> yeah, probably wouldn't love it. Have you seen the clip would... of him um, discovering how much Madonna was charging for concert ticket? I think it was Madonna. She, he he's on a talk show, and they tell him that Madonna's charging, and I think it was something you know, something astronomical, like sixty dollars at the time, and he just like could not believe it. Yeah, was, was like it's how what was they're, they're yeah. charging how much? Yeah, so that that occurred to me is that in in the in the search for what what U Dub's uh, from the third to the fourth quarter anthem is going to be. I was like, I get the I get the idea of Nirvana, and that's definitely I liked Alice in Chains when they were taking the field before the game. Like I was I was into the Alice in Chains, yeah. but I was like, yeah, Teen Spirit feels a bridge too far. My cousin's in the Teen Spirit video. Wow. Um, he was a he was a DJ at Loyola Marymount, which is where the Teen Spirit video was filled filmed. You can see him pretty clearly a couple times. He's hanging on a basketball rim in the background. It was it was filmed there at the gym at Loyola Marymount, and then he's he's being held up like a crowd surfing kind of kind of thing, um, and then tossed back into the crowd. My cousin Greg, uh, which I've told everybody I know incessantly about over the past 30 years. Does he get royalties from that? <laughs> no, he doesn't. He, he's an awesome dude, though. Uh, he's he's yeah. No, he does. He, he he bears. He doesn't get anything out of it except that I incessantly tell people that I know about Cousin Greg to try to make him as famous as possible. Well, that's enough. Uh, I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, lifelong, that's lifelong notoriety. Tremendous payoff. Uh, the second question I had, the second question I had is, how is a crowd? Do we do we feel a little bit of energy and momentum back? Was it was it was it better than Kent State? Um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say unequivocally yes. Even though okay. I wasn't at that game, um, I I just know uh, what the announced attendance was. That school hadn't started yet. Students were probably not out in full force for that one. I'll say. You know, I thought that the Michigan State game could like reset what the expectations could be, not just for this team, like on the field win loss wise, but for what Husky Stadium was going to be like this year too, right? That if you got, you know, sixty eight thousand plus, which they did for Michigan State, and you put this great product on the field, and they won, and everyone's feeling good about the team, and they're ranked, and all those things, you know, those are all that's all what you need to get people in the seats for the rest of your home schedule, which, as we know, isn't all that enticing on on paper. Um, I was even then a little bit surprised at how, how loud it was on Stanford's first couple possessions. Mm -hmm. Now, I think a lot of that is the students. The student section was full. 
Student section looks great. Man. I don't think there were any empty seats in the student section in winter or um, fall quarter starts. I think tomorrow. I think it always starts on a Wednesday. It's this week, so this was kind of the first weekend. Everybody's back in town, and everybody's excited, and the team's good and stuff. So um, maybe could have could have predicted that. They announced sixty five thousand, which I maybe wouldn't have expected. I kind of felt like it would be in the lower sixties. I don't know that there were quite that many there. They probably didn't scan sixty five thousand tickets, but. Um, I remember looking at like 10 minutes before kickoff and thinking like, yeah, okay, Stanford, this is not, doesn't look like it's going to be a great crowd. Um, But then when Stanford, I think they they had the ball first, right? Yeah, they had the ball first and man, on their first snap, it was just like, oh, okay, whoa, this is going to, this is, this is loud. You know, this is really, this is kind of what it used to be like. So still not full, Um, you know, still going to take a lot of, a lot of effort and, um, you know, marketing and stuff, I think to, to get closer to a sellout, which I mean, I just don't know if that's going to be possible with the teams they have coming in here. Like if they couldn't do it for Michigan state, I don't know that it's going to happen for Arizona or, you know, maybe Oregon state. Cause then you got some visiting teams that'll travel well and they look like they're pretty good. But I was, um, I was impressed with the crowd. I thought, uh, you know, for a PAC 12 opener against a team that probably isn't very good that, um, you know, Washington's got its history with Stanford, but it's not like a marquee matchup. They're um, nerds. I thought it was pretty good. And Roma Dunze, like, is is that Roma Dunze's coming out party? Like, is that is that the the, the showcase game for Roma Dunze and why we've we've said he's the best player on the team for more than a year now? Yeah, eight eight catches for one sixty one. One sixty one. I think they'll take that. Yeah. Um, Giles Jackson getting a little bit involved. Yeah, nice. Nice. That was a nice screen pass he caught late for a touchdown. Jalen McMillan is still um, – the thing with these receivers is they can be not that open, and yet when the ball is in the air, and maybe some of it is just confidence in, in Michael Penix Jr. and you know trusting that if he's making a throw, it's, it's one that he feels good about because he's not someone so far who's forced a ton of stuff. Um, just like thinking when the ball's in the air that, that the receiver is going to make a play on it. You know, more times than not, like there's been a lot of throws, at least the first couple games where, you know, he he's thrown it before the receiver's out of his break, and it's pretty well defended, and there's some some heat, you know, there's some zip behind it, and you're like, oh, I, that's probably not getting caught, and you know, Jalen McMillan or or Jalen Polk will make a really good play on it, and it's kind of to the point where, you know, you should probably expect that to happen now, and you know, like they just talk about it's it's the the confidence that filters down from Ryan Grubb, the offensive coordinator through Michael Penix Jr. And then out to the receivers, you know, they all just talk about like pre-snap. Oh, one-on-one coverage on Romo Dunze. He, that's where he's throwing it. And it's going to be a touchdown. It's the best thing that Penix does is throw with anticipation, right? Definitely. Like laying it up there with a chance to get the ball. I I've, I've been, I've taken some grief over the past week over my commentary on Penix's somewhat weird throwing motion. Uh, there's there's a school of thought that believes that I'm only I only think that because he's left-handed, and and I do think it's it's weird to watch a left-handed quarterback. Like that's there's no doubt about that. And there's been different points where I've kind of said like, oh, it's just aesthetically not as pleasing. Like all these like you like watching a left-handed power hitter. You can just say that it's Brock giving you the grief. I mean, you you can just say it. He didn't like that because I it was it was actually the (laughs) it it was it started with Tebow 
Because I was like, maybe it's because he's left-handed. Like, and that was that was joking. But then I was even like, Vic, Vic had a graceful throwing motion, oh, right? Yeah. But like Tua, Tua's a lefty, and it kind of it kind of feels like he muscles it as opposed to throwing it. And Penix, I think Penix has more of a shot put type motion. I think he looks like Philip Rivers, which I use as evidence that see, it's not just about him being left-handed; it's the actual throwing motion. But there's some people that that have have <laughs> think that I'm I'm biased against left-handers. But uh I don't I don't I don't think it's his arm strength. He's got a decent arm and I don't think it's the way he throws or the quickness of his release. I think it's his anticipation like man, that guy that guy sees and is able to place the ball where it needs to be to take advantage of his receiver's talents. I'll say like I've been I've been surprised by his arm strength. Um mm-hmm. It's not like you watch his stuff from Indiana and think this isn't a guy who can make every throw. Um, but it's not, you know, like you watch you watch Jacob Eason, and that was like the number one with a bullet. Oh my, oh my God, look at this guy's arm. That's yeah. not Michael Penix Jr. But then you see him get in games, and like you said, throw with anticipation. And Kalen DeBoer talked about this yesterday that it, it's not necessarily the the deep shots, the deep bombs, how far he can throw it, but it's being able to throw across the field and put the ball on a line. And I mean, any questions about his arm strength, I think were answered on that, that 19 yard touchdown throw to Wayne Talapapa against yeah. Michigan state. That was just, a, he whistled a frozen that man. rope. <laughs> it was how surprised that DB was. And then that's a hell of a catch by Talapapa. Yeah. Like that was, that was a great grab. Like he, he's kind of in tight space there and he just reached up and just soft hands just grabbed it. But that's a good call because that was a fastball. I saw him wind up to throw that. And I'm like, where's he throwing this? <laughs> like, oh, oh, just a casual, you know, 107 miles an hour back shoulder to the tailback. High and tight is where he was throwing that one. No, he, it's he, he's he's looked really good. And now the, the Husky coaching staff, Kalen DeBoer's coaching staff, did a hell of a job to keep those receivers together. Like, they, they really did. There was no reason... If Roma Dunze would have transferred in the offseason or after and entered the transfer portal, I would have said, I hate to see you go, but I totally get it. And there's no reason for you to stay at Washington. Like the 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 assistant who the one assistant that I would say, like, oh, maybe he had a connection to him, had had bailed. Like Junior Adams was was going to Oregon. And after the way that offense functioned last year, if all of those guys had decided, like, yeah, you know what, man, we we wanted to make this work, but see, we're not we're not in for this. They kept them all together, and now you're seeing how good that group of wide receivers is. Like they've, it's not. I mean, they have five, what I would consider five Pac-12 caliber receivers that are that that are getting opportunities, and 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 they're taking advantage of it. And if somebody if they if they're if they're focusing on one of those guys, somebody else is going to get opportunities. And Penix is showing the ability to get them the ball. Um, you mentioned Junior Adams. Like they had to win those guys over twice. Yeah, you know, like and I I think that was. You mean I don't know that Kalen DeBoer is the the type to, you know, use one of his coveted ten assistant spots on someone just to retain a couple players for a few years, and you know, obviously. It's a lot of people who think highly of, of Junior Adams, and you know, I think more went into it than that. But I'm sure at least part of the calculation was that they, you know, they, they looked at last year's team and were like, "Well, wait a second, they were four and eight and terrible offensively, but 
wow, Romo Dunze is going to play in the NFL. Jalen McMillan is going to play in the NFL. Jalen yep. Polk is is really good. He's probably going to play in the NFL too. Um, these guys are all really young. That's priority number one. If if you keep those receivers, you've got a chance to come in and and you know have an immediate turnaround offensively. So I'm sure they felt like okay, they put the offer in front of Junior Adams and he takes it. He's going to stay. I think that was enough probably for Jalen McMillan and Romo Dunze and Jalen Polk to say, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick around. And so you probably feel like, you know, mission accomplished a little bit and then he leaves and it's like, yeah. oh, geez, we got to you know re-recruit these guys all over again. And I got to go hire an assistant that, that they're going to mesh with and feel good about. And, and they pulled it off, you know, and I, I actually asked Kalen DeBoer about this yesterday and Ryan Grubb and, you know, they just said, hey, they sat down and showed those guys the film and talked through the offense. And, you know, like, I think that's, again, you know, we talked about it last week with very few coaching staffs could have gotten Michael Penix Jr. to the University of Washington. Um, there's not, there there wouldn't have been the history and the background for the, the prior coaching staff to convince somebody that their offense was the way to go. But when Kalen DeBoer and Ryan Grubb are able to sit down and just literally turn on film of the team that they coached last year with a quarterback, by the way, that like some of these guys played with, not the receivers, but a bunch of these guys on the team knew um, and just say, look, watch, you know, does this does this look fun? Does, you know, 100 and 130 targets between the top two receivers? You know, is that is that all right? Will that work? like is that something you'd be interested in and even if, like even if you wanted to run that offense even if you hired a coordinator who was like yes 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 fresno state 2021 that's what we want to do that's exactly what we want to do that's what we're gonna do that is totally different than having done it and having the tape and they were that's what they were able to show those guys and you know the fact they go out and hire jamarcus Shepard, who's you know really highly thought of as a receivers coach and he's getting a look from notre dame he interviewed at washington and notre dame in the same week, I don't know that it's as simple as like he turned down Notre Dame. Maybe Notre Dame well, it sure to looks like he took a, he took a look at w- where those two programs were going and made the right call. Yeah, maybe he's the difference. <laughs> so what it looked like there, he was like, it's like oh, you got Notre Dame, but I I don't know. Maybe that that sun is setting. This four and eight Washington team, whose whose offense looked like it was it was being called by someone who had a tin can connected between with a piece of string. Like yeah, that's that's where we're going to get on. No, seriously, look, I don't. I always wonder, like, when when you've got players like Jalen McMillan and Roma Dunze who come in together, and and Jalen Polk, who's who's kind of part of that group, like, even though he's not the same year, but he comes into the program at about the same time, and they go through this really disappointing season, what pulls them to stay? Um, when when I, I arrived on campus at Washington in, in 93, fall of 93, so Don James had just quit, built Jim Lambright, had taken over. They've got two years of probation, and they had a really well-regarded recruiting class. And those guys stayed together. Mm-hmm. And and I always now some of them turned out to be better than others, but like there was a backbone in a group that had, I think it was nine guys drafted in like ninety six, ninety seven. Um, like that's they stayed together despite sort of hey this isn't what we signed up for like they they signed up to play for Don James and a team that had gone to the Rose Bowl for three straight years and they arrive on campus to a team that's on probation with 
with, with a new head coach. And, and it was what that recruiting class meant to each other that, that kept them there. Um, kind of Terry Holloman and Fred Coleman and Rashawn Sheehy. And now I'm back in names that only people yeah. like me care Ken about. Cleland, um, yeah. Like there was, there was a group of guys there and, and Olin Krutz was added to it a couple years later. Like there was a nucleus of players that were, that, that were kind of the backbone of, of that group. And I kind of, I wonder, I'll wonder how close a bond these players have with each other. Or maybe it was a case of they see DeBoer as he comes in and they look at and make a, make a very practical sort of self. Everywhere this guy's gone, the offense has improved immediately. Like everywhere that this guy's gone, we, you've been able to see people vault themselves up. And if you're looking at it for a, how do I showcase myself best for the next level, which which is a consideration for someone like Odunze McMillan spe- specifically. Does is 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 that the appeal? Like what what they see in what he's bringing, and I don't know. Like just as the selfish Husky fan, like I, I want players to feel as great about the school as I do, and I know that that's unrealistic and that's like idealized and sort of totally out of step with the realities of modern college athletics. But when something like this happens, Christian, it warms the cockles of my heart. Like it, it really does. Where I'm like, they they decided to stick it out when they didn't really have a clear reason to. Like there's not, you don't have to sit out a year now if you transfer, and and they end up in a situation where it's like, man, this audience is humming. They're getting the opportunities. One week it's Jalen Polk catching three TDs against Michigan State. The next week it's Roma Dunze who has 160 yards, and this quarterback looks like he was. Like you can tell he was he he knows this offense, understands how to do it. Like it's it's just humming, and you're like, oh, this this just makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Um, um, you talking about that reminds me of a story I wrote about Odunze in the spring, and a quote that I'm I'm gonna go find. Um, mm, 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 mm. So all three of those guys did kind of discuss this together, and they are close. Um, and they are friends. And I think it was like, if they were all going to stay, it was a decision that, that had been discussed between the three of them. Um, and I, I asked, I remember asking Odunze about that specifically, you know, did you, did you consult with those guys? And he said, I wanted them to stay here. I wanted them to make the best decision for themselves. And after I was able to take a look at the offense, I was talking to them about how I felt, we were talking about that and making sure everyone was going to end up in a position they liked. And that happened to be here because it was so good for all of us. It's an offense that everybody can eat. I was talking to them like every other day, trying to make sure we were all on the same page and everybody's good. So, um, I, I do think there was like a, a group recognition of, yeah, you could go in the portal. I think all those guys would have had looks, um, maybe it would have been a little more complicated for Polk because he'd already transferred once, but the NCAA, doesn't matter and the rules mean nothing so he probably would have been fine um <laughs> we'll just give him three more years of eligibility yeah we're gonna let kids play throughout their 20s now whatever uh <laughs> but i i do think there was like an understanding among the three of those that you know there's there's no it with staying put with any new coach that you didn't originally commit to play for that you didn't choose is always going to be a risk there's always a gamble but i think that after they were able to meet with the staff and see the film and stuff um they knew a lot more 
about what their future was going to look like at Washington than they could have possibly known about what it would look like at any other program. And yeah. I think made the calculated decision that like, if you stay, it's a risk because it's a new staff. But if you go in the portal, it's a risk and you have no idea where you're going to end up. Um, and I think those guys like being in Washington, you know, like I think Odunze talked about it, you know, going through that process kind of reminded him of all the things that, um, that he, he liked about Seattle and about the school. And I talked to his mom a little bit at the time too. And she said, yeah, like that was never an issue. Like he, 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 he's always, you know, loved it in, in town and, and the campus community and stuff. So it really was just, okay, but you're, you're, you are here to play football. What's that piece going to look like? And, and they, you know, they showed them what they needed to see. And I thought, you know, Kalen DeBoer yesterday kind of indicated a, a pretty good deal of humility for a head coach, you know, where he said, um, that once he got those guys all on board, his mentality was like, okay, now we're going to prove to you that you made the right decision. And I don't know, like, I feel like sometimes the attitude is, well, you know, these kids, God, you know, why everyone wants to transfer? Like, can't you deal with a little bit of adversity? Of course, this is where you should be. Of course, this is the right place. Staying put is always the right decision. And, you know, how, how, da how dare you even consider transferring somewhere else where I think this staff like legitimately appreciates that they, they basically, you know, chose them after, after they got hired. And now I think actually really does care about, um, or seems to, seems to care about making sure they have a good experience and all those sort of things. Well, that makes me even warmer and fuzzier inside, Christian. There's just so many reasons to feel happy about being a Husky these days. La, 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 la. <laughs> now we're going to go down to UCLA and stomp the crap out of the Bruins who nobody cares about. <laughs> There's some great ticket deals for this game. <laughs> What's... I know it doesn't matter. Like, I know, I know, I know attendance in the overall scheme of things doesn't, doesn't really matter. Like, the... People will make noise about it, but TV pays the freight. It's not like the Big Ten is having buyer's remorse right now, right? Like, it's not – they're like, dude, we got a massive TV deal from, from, from ESPN. Like, we've got a massive, massive deal. Like, we are, we are the counterpoint – I'm sorry, from, from Fox. We are the counterpoint. Like, ESPN has the SEC. Like, we have Fox. Like, we, we are the mega conference. And we only have that because we were able to tell them that we've got the L.A. market with UCLA and USC. And really, if we're being honest about it, it's USC. Yeah, it's USC. But, dude, UCLA is 4-0, and and no one cares. Like, no one cares. And I'm not saying they should because they haven't really played anybody. But no one cares. Like, that program, like, what has happened to that football program is in the in the eighties and really for the I would say for the nineties as well, the feeling around the conference was there's USC and there's UCLA when it comes to recruiting talent, and then there's everybody else. Like and and the years that those schools aren't 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 at the top, aren't aren't winning or contending for the conference title, like something's gone wrong because those two schools that they, they have they have a different caliber of of recruiting base. They just do. That is it's still true for USC. It is not true for UCLA at at all anymore. And like I, I think it's going to be a tough game. Um, and I like I think Dorian Thompson Robinson is good in ways that is going to stress this defense. I mean, like Chuck Morrell talked yesterday about how elusive he is, and I I need to I haven't verified the stat, but I mean he said 
He's been sacked like three times in 37 pressures this year. Um, so he's, you know, they haven't faced a quarterback who's like elite at extending plays and, and you know, like gashing you for 25 yards if if everything's covered up, but you leave the middle open to him or something like that. Um, you know, Zach Charbonnet is going to be a load. Um, he sounds you know, like a wine, doesn't he? <laughs> Like, that's what I always think. He sounds so fancy. He's like a pinky raised running back. He didn't run like it. No, he doesn't. He's he's a bruising punisher. Dude, I remember that, well, 2018, Washington won down there, right? And it was the first time. Since 95. First time in 20 years? It was 23, yeah. 23 years. First time in 23 years. They'd lost eight straight down there. And they almost lost that game, too, because they couldn't. they could not stop. Uh, what's his acronym? What does everybody call him? DTR. DTR. They couldn't stop DTR, and everybody was wondering about DTR. So yeah, I don't have any illusions about this game being easy. And and Chip Kelly, I've 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 gained a begrudging respect for Chip Kelly. So the like other... I, I've I've gained a grudging respect for him. I don't know how hard he's trying right now, but I have a lot of respect for how he sees the game. I thought they um they got the ball in the hands of their best players in some cool ways at Husky Stadium last year. A lot of a lot of motion and deceptive handoffs that it looks different than what he was doing at Oregon. So I think he has evolved a little bit. And yeah, I mean, look, he, senior fifth year senior quarterback, fifth year starter quarterback. Because he that he was he was a true freshman starting in twenty eighteen yes. for them. Yes, he was. Um, great running back, maybe the best in the conference. Who's big and physical and is going to test them. Um, I think this is a challenge. And then the other side of the ball. I'm gonna I'm gonna connect this back to Romo Dunze because two two of the guys Washington has recruited since I've been covering them who just left off the screen watching their their senior highlights who who I would put at the at like near the top of that list were Romo Dunze and Laatu Latu who's I mean you, you when we get done here literally go go find his huddle page and watch his senior year highlights the guy's like a Madden creative player. I mean, he was, I don't know what he's listed at now. He's 6'4", probably listed between 250 and 260 at this point as an edge rusher. Um, he was maybe a little lighter than that in high school, but he's lining up at inside linebacker at that size. He's rushing the passer from the edge. He's playing tight end. He's one of their best receivers, catching touchdown passes. And he he's just knocking guys around like, I mean, he looked like a grown man playing against eighth graders. And it was just, you watch and you're like, who, who is this guy? Like, he's just crazy physical, just, you know, supremely athletically gifted. He played rugby. He was a really good rugby player. I think he said in the past that, like, you know, if if rugby were what college football is, you know, like, culturally and, you know, societally and, and all the attention and stuff on it, like, he probably would play rugby instead. He really loves the sport. Um, See, that's, that's funny to me. Um a, like rugby is a great sport. I've generally felt that there's very little crossover between the two. Like, e- despite like the similarities that people will point to, and there have been some guys, especially kind of kick returners, have, have had a little bit of an impact. But as far as tackling goes, it's a different mechanic because of the padding 
and or maybe I'm just entirely influenced by Dave Wyman's story about there was some badass rugby player, like world class rugby rugby player who went out for the Stanford football team. <laughs> Dave Wyman just destroyed him like in one of the practice reps because he was like, yeah, he didn't know how to play behind his pads at all because like you don't have padding like you don't you, the the ability of taking someone you can't run into a guy full speed. In, in rugby, like you have to modify it just because you, you can't protect yourself. Whereas in football, you can turn yourself into a missile. So Wyman was talking about how much he enjoyed destroying this guy. So maybe I've been biased and I need to re, 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 refigure my, my dismissal of rugby players as tackle football, uh, as tackle football demons. Well, that was, I mean, under Chris Peterson, that was their big thing um, defensively was teaching rugby style tackling and taking the head out of it. Um, and they Correct. Would, they would have like whole periods of practice where they players would take their helmets off and practice tackling without their helmets. So they they found yes found but some. You, but as, there as, are as far as being elusive and knowing how to take a hit and those things. Yes, not a lot of carryover probably. But putting putting your putting your weight behind your shoulder pads like you can do that in a way. Like you you can hit guys harder with pads. Um, so, but yeah, maybe, maybe it has, cause the Seahawks do that too. The Hawk tackle where they, where they kind of roll and twist guys and, and not, not that's so much right. the using, yeah, the Hawk tackle. That's my favorite. <laughs> uh, <laughs> somebody suggested they get the, they get uh Seattle's mascot, the Tima, the Hawk that they have fly out uh, involved with the drone. Oh yeah. That, that's the way to do it. Yeah. I've always thought that that's a missed opportunity that you'd only be able to do it once or maybe twice. But if you trained the bird to attack the opposing team's quarterback before a game and then you just be like, dude, I'm sorry. Like, it's a wild animal. Like, I, I really don't know what to tell you. It's never happened before. And I, I feel very badly that your quarterback had his eyes gouged out and now can't play in this pivotal playoff game. But I, what do you want me to do? We can't rewind time. Like, there's no use crying over spilled milk or gouged out eyes because of this wild bird we just we we obviously we won't use the bird again but sorry there would be um, an investigation <laughs> yeah sure but let him do it just like the Tua Tonga Vailoa investigation did you watch that this weekend no so Tua Tonga Vailoa gets he, he gets hit after he releases the ball tumbles backwards like his his helmet like whacks against the ground like it's one of those whiplash leveraged Sort of things where his helmet hits extremely hard. He is slow to get up. He's very clearly unsteady as he gets up. As he starts jogging toward the new line of scrimmage, completely falls. Like knees buckled, like jello to a knee. His offensive lineman grabs him and appears to hold him upright. Understandably, he is then taken to the locker room and evaluated for, for a head injury, which seems really, really rational. He played in the second half. Okay, I did hear about this. Like, what the hell's going on? And then they're like, well, actually, what it, it wasn't a head injury. It was his back. <laughs> it was a pre-existing back injury that caused it. So he wasn't entered into concussion protocol. And I, I want it. These are difficult questions to solve because it's very possible that Tua Tonga-Vailoa in a totally, like, if he was not concussed in any way, if he was completely sane, would choose to play even if he had a head injury. Like, that's that's something that players, as long as, I, as I've covered professional football, have always answered. Like, would you willingly conceal 
symptoms of a concussion to continue playing. It was an anonymous question I would ask people every year as a part of a poll for the Sporting News. And 96% of the guys, I would say, like I can remember three guys who said no. I I wouldn't I wouldn't heal. But don't tell me that like, oh, it was a back injury. He wasn't in concussion protocol. It's like you saw his head get slammed into the ground. You watched him unable to walk. He then went and then you're like, oh, actually, it was a back injury. No, it wasn't. He he might have told them it was a back injury or said my head's fine or been able to pass whatever concussion test you put in front of him. But don't 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 sit there and say like, oh, actually, it wasn't a concussion. It was a, I mean, yeah, it was a back injury. I've even heard of college players like begging the training staff not to disclose a a head injury. Absolutely. Like, please, you know, please don't tell anybody. Please clear me. I I you know, I want to play. I feel fine. So and and then the question of, of what you do with that because. It's different in college. It's different in college because they're I mean my, the the administrators are adamant that they're not employees, right? Like there's there's a gray area between how the attempt to preserve them as amateur athletes. But in the pros, if a player wants to play with a concussion, should should he not be allowed to? And the answer the answer that most people have come up with is hey, it's out of his hands. Right. And you can't ask to make that decision in he's in an, a compromised state if he's concussed. You can't ask a concussed person whether they want to play while having a, a concussion. But we let people fight in the UFC and we let people box like these are very clearly like at some point, like we say, OK, you're an adult and you're allowed you, you know, the risks and you get into that. But we're not even having that discussion, which I think is a difficult and reasonable discussion. We're having. Oh, no, that wasn't a concussion. What are you talking about? Like, that, oh, no, that was a back injury. OK, OK, I, I, I can understand my, my, my legs getting wet and it's not because it's raining like you are peeing on my leg. Uh, that's a that's a fun visual. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna stop there because I have a story of a Seattle medium member who was uh, as he walked uh, up the the. Do they still? Do you still park? Uh, is media parking for Husky games? Is it still in the triangle lot that's across? It is. Yeah. There was someone who was walking up one of the stairs and thought it might have been raining. And it was not. It was actually a fan from up above who was peeing on him. <laughs> so anytime I've thought of that, people have used that metaphor. I was like, I know someone that happened to <laughs> And in the, the guy in the... shout down at him, it's raining. <laughs> no, he didn't. He was super apologetic. Like he didn't realize what was happening for whatever reason. He didn't understand that he was peeing into a void that went into. Well, usually, you know, usually when you stop yeah. over to, to urinate in public, it's you know totally you don't have to you don't have to worry about people people being out and about. Jeez, he was like, get out like, of the well, way! What a convenient black hole that I can urinate. Yeah. <laughs> Surely, there's no humans down there. Oh. Uh, I was, um, I was going to say on Latu though, he's he's leading the Pac-12 in sacks. Yeah, five sack. Now they got to play Colorado last week, so you know I don't know if the league office is going to go in and like reduce that in half formally. Um, <laughs> do, a, do a percentage, but he five sacks in his first four games um, since leaving Washington. And for those who who don't remember the history, Latu Latu, huge recruit, 
Um, they did a great job getting him away from USC. Most people assumed he was going to end up at USC. They they land him in the 2019 class. He was he was a, a rotational player as a true freshman. Had a safety in his first game against Eastern Washington. Had a couple sacks that year. Coming into excuse me, he's coming into 2020. I think was in line to probably start. And you know he he had the makings of a star. There was there were few people that they've signed that I've I've really thought were were destined for a great college career more than than he was. He just seemed like he had everything. And then 2020 happens, the season finally starts. You know, obviously we didn't get to go to any practices or see anything. He's atop the depth chart at outside linebacker, just like everybody assumed he would be. Um, but then he's not in uniform. And he didn't suit up for any of their games, and it comes out that he's he's got a neck injury. He's medically retired, right, was the term they used? Yeah, day one, spring practice, 2021, he's not there. And then Jimmy Lake says that, that he had to medically retire with this neck injury. And he stuck around the program, I think, as a student assistant. And I think he was looking into, you know, taking whatever classes to be a firefighter. He was really interested in that. And, um, you know, it was a huge bummer. He was not just looked like a great player, but he, he's, he was a really popular teammate. Guys really liked him. Um, he had a, you know, he was a guy who worked really hard and um, was, an, you know, I think an easy one to, to root for, kind of. So it was, it was a bummer he wasn't going to get to play anymore. And then he transfers to UCLA and it's like, Oh, okay. Well, maybe he's getting, you know, maybe he's, he's healed or maybe he's getting better advice from, you know, their, maybe their doctors are, are looking at this differently, you know, who knows. And then he sits out last year and he's cleared to play and man, he looks like he's really, really good and, you know, good for him. Like I, if, if he's healthy and, you know, the the next stuff is behind him and, and he's able to have a great college career. I think everybody, at, you know, I just, I tweeted about him the other day because he's number one in sacks and Braylon Trice is second mm-hmm. in the Pac-12 in sacks. And both those guys were in the same recruiting class at Washington. Um, and I tweeted about it and a bunch of, bunch of players were reacting to it, you know, telling him, you know, great job rooting for, you know, good for you. And so you can tell he's a guy who still has a lot of support at Washington and that you know probably somebody that that they're going to be rooting for in every game other than than on Friday. Um, so I think that'll be cool for for him to to go against those guys and and them to go against him. And you know if, if he puts together this like awesome season where he's an all conference pass rusher, like I'm sure there's going to be a lot of Husky fans who are like, uh, what happened? You know why couldn't you why couldn't you stayed and done that in Washington? But I think the way that their edge rushers have played so far, at least on Saturday especially, maybe takes some some sting out of that where you're like, well, he'd be in the mix with ZTF and with Braylon Trice. And, um, you know, they'd have to, obviously if he's a, if he's an all conference guy, he, uh, I think he would, he would have played, but, um, I, 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 yeah, I think, I think it's a situation where like everybody can win at the end of it. I'm happy for Lotto. Like I'm, I'm happy for him. I'm happy that he's able to play. I'm hopeful that, that there's no sort of health it it's a risk anytime you play football and I don't want to be flipping about that and I don't want to say like I don't know the specifics of of how the medical diagnosis changed or why it would be different at UCLA than it was at, at, at UW and quite honestly like none of that's really any of my business like that's that's a decision for primarily for the player and his family I'm happy that he's playing it 
and as much as I spent the first part of this talking about sort of this idealized version of wanting, you enjoy rooting for players and a successful football team that's kind of loosely connected to the institution that I have these fond memories of attending. Like there's a there's a certain amount of selfishness that's associated with 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 my fandom. There's also like this desire for sort of a shared bond that that may or may not exist, right? Like it's ultimately college football should be about players getting an opportunity to participate in this activity that they love while getting the benefits of a of a of a college education and the fact that he's getting that now and starring at UCLA instead of at UW doesn't doesn't change the sort of nature of that I hope this is really fulfilling for him and I hope he has a great year like I I, I have no I have no sort of oh I wish it would have worked out at Washington it didn't and and I don't think that was for a lack of trying on anybody's part and it's working out for him right now at UCLA good I I I I hope he has a hell of a year. I think Ryan Grubb talked about the challenge of defending him a little bit differently than he talked about Michigan State's star pass rusher. Um, granted, he's talking about Latu before the game, and he was talking about how they shut down Michigan State's edge rusher afterward. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he basically said that I think Windman, um, the guy from Michigan State who had – I think he was leading the country in sacks coming into that game through the first two weeks. I think Grubb said, like, they noticed on film that he had, like, two moves that they really, really wanted to key on and that he, he would have been disappointed if they hadn't shut him down. Um, and he, he spoke of Latu in, in more glowing terms. So I I think that their staff believes that this is a, a big challenge. You know, again, it, three of his five sacks were against Colorado. So I think this is a the is the first big test for UCLA period, right? I mean, they played a really soft non-conference schedule and then opened with Colorado. It's a they could have won every game 70 to nothing and and you'd still be looking at that 4 and 0 and thinking, "Okay, let's let's see how they do against somebody legit." And you know, you can maybe you wonder the same thing about Washington, especially after what Michigan State did against Minnesota. I mean, that as much as as the Huskies dominated um most of that game, uh the Gophers the Gophers kind of took it to another level. I think they were outgaining them like 200 some yards to one at one point. Michigan State's touchdown came in the last minute, so um, that went. Michigan State might not be good. What's What's so funny though? Like, you think of all the recruits who were at that game. I think they had 80 guys there, um, and the the buzz that they got in Washington got ranked off of it, and you know we 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 went, spoke in detail about everything there was to be gained about winning that game. A lot of that stuff, you, you, it's just banked and it doesn't matter if Michigan yep. state ends up not being good. Like the, the recruits who are at that game are only going to remember the atmosphere. They're not probably going to like get so nuanced with it that they go back and they're like, yeah, but you know, Michigan state went five and seven. That wasn't the same Michigan state team. They overachieved last year. They were overrated this year. I know that Washington like smacked them and route to a 10 and two season or whatever, but you know, actually I shouldn't have been that excited about it. Like they're just going to remember what it was like and what the scene was. And people who watched on TV are just going to remember how explosive they were and you know, how, how much they just were operating on a different level than Michigan state. So like, you know, I think when we talk about what's possible for Washington and how, you know, how good are they really? It's, it's absolutely prudent to, 
point to Michigan State and say, well, they're maybe not that good. But as far as like the optics and the perception and, and the goodwill that they generated off that win, I don't know that it really matters what kind of season Michigan State has. 100% agree. It doesn't matter at all. And honestly, this is some of the reason that I don't, I don't care that much about the rankings. Like, I, I don't. Um, it's, it's not... If, if rankings are going to mean something, they shouldn't be posted ahead of the season, right? Like, that's, that's always been the most nonsensical part of it. Like, the rankings are as much, like, public relations plus as, as they are, like, actual facts but they actually are computed into they they matter where teams end up going at the end of the year that's stupid it it doesn't it doesn't really when you all that matters is what the team was ranked at the time you beat them like that's that's really all that should matter if if we're going to release rankings but it makes it into such a i the the short version is what you just said is 100% right and it doesn't matter where michigan state finishes at all for the long term significance and for the person out there that's going to be screaming about how strength of schedule is indexed at the end of the year and how that factors in, yes, you're technically right, but that's just because you're being an insufferable dork. Like, you're technically right. Like, it does – if Michigan State goes in the toilet and and does some laps and then gurgles all the way down into the rats and alligators that are found in the sewer system. Like, if that if – that, you're technically right. It does hurt Washington, but not really. Like, not in the real world where – among people who actually um, walk on grass and go outside and, and experience things through something other than a computer. Danny took a one-game lead over me in our Pac-12 picks last week by virtue of picking the the unbeaten Washington Huskies against the spread, by the way. That's right. Four I took them against the nerds. 4-0 and now, uh, covering every week. Um, Danny moves to 10-6 and on the season against the spread. I'm at 9-7. and I think we both should feel pretty good about about those numbers, but you should feel better. Uh, uh, it's it's um, okay. Oregon's been biting me in the butt. Oh, although wait, no, you have Wazoo. No, I I took Wazoo and I With I won because of the points. Cover the miracle cover. <laughs> Dude, I was watching. Was just... I was watching the end of that in the press box. I had just gotten there like three hours before kickoff or whatever, and I was talking to um, Chris Francis and Oregon hits the touchdown to Troy Franklin to take the lead with a minute yep. 20 left. And I, I literally said, I'm like, well, as long as, as long as they don't throw a pick six, at least they've got the cover. Cam yep. Ward throws a pick six on the next play. Word um, cone carne quarterback throws the pick six. And I said though, and I said, I'm like, well, they still got time. They still got time for the garbage cover. Here comes, <laughs> and he hits that long pass. And I'm like, yes, garbage cover. Let's go. And it, people were, were talking about it as a bad beat. And I'm like, that's not a bad beat. They were up 12 most of the fourth quarter. They 100%. led the whole game. It would have been a bad beat if Oregon had held on for the cover. 100%. That's a bad beat. Wazoo, I mean, I think Oregon deserved to win that game because I like they shot themselves in the foot with all these penalties. and um, Oregon outplayed them. Yeah, they, 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 got, they did what they wanted offensively all game. Bo Nix was outstanding after the, the, the yes, pick six. Yes, he was. One game closer. <laughs> One game closer. At some point, don't you don't you go from like rooting for him to keep playing to being concerned that that nope. he's capable of putting up huge numbers? I have I have I have significant body of evidence about who Bo Nix is and who I believe him to be. And the best the best the best thing that can happen for Washington is that Bo Nix starts that game for the University of Oregon. I don't know. I don't know. If you're right. <laughs> 
Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna put you in conflict for our first pick here of the week. Uh, Colorado visits Arizona. <laughs> I just I just looked at these because it's winless Colorado, and and two and two Arizona. The Wild and I've I've, I've basically set point favorites. I've I've basically made it pretty clear that I don't think much of Jed Fish. So I'm going to force you to choose between betting on Jed Fish or betting on the Colorado Buffaloes. What's the spread? 17 and a half. That Arizona's getting? Yes. Or giving. Arizona's giving 17 and a half. I'm taking Colorado. You're taking Colorado. Let's go Buffs! (laughs) Yep. No, it's... I've, I've said... I've set two things down. Is that I'm not betting against USC... Until they well, I, although I guess we're I guess we're at the point where we can revisit that right because the game was so close that was against Oregon loss. State. Yeah, but I'm I'm not betting on Jetfish. I'm just not doing it. Go Buffs! Give me the Buffs. Um, I am taking Arizona. I will not bet on Colorado <laughs> unless uh, unless Jaden Ott transfers um, during this week and and plays for for the Buffaloes in this game. Um, I'm confident that Arizona can uh, can take care of business. That is a massive line. Um, yes, it is for for an Arizona team that just gave up 49 points to Cal. Yep. Uh, but I just, I mean, like Colorado is is well on its way on its 0 and 12 journey and cannot justify uh, picking them in this game. Who's the worst Pac-12 team you've ever seen? I was because I was kicking through this. Tyrone Willingham's team is there, like in the conversation, obviously going winless. But I was thinking, like maybe a Walt Harris Stanford team. So the Wazoo team that beat them in two thousand eight in the Crapple Cup. Mm-hmm. That's one of the worst teams in major college football history. Washington was zero and ten going into that game and was favored by about a touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> Washington State the next year went one and eleven with a miracle. I want to say overtime win over S a really bad SMU team at home, in which SMU like outgained them by a crazy amount of yardage, but like through I want to say like two pick sixes or something like that. So like Wazoo probably should have gone zero and twelve the next year. They only won games in two thousand eight because they played Portland State. And Washington, who went zero twelve. I I don't know. I feel like I feel like those Wazoo teams were each well. They were certainly less talented than the the zero twelve Washington team. Um, it's a it's an interesting debate. I think this year's Colorado team might they might have them beat. <laughs> I don't see a win. Like if they don't win this week, they still they get to play ASU. Um, you know, they didn't they didn't get a non conference win. They didn't have any gimmies. It's hard to see them it's hard to see them winning a game this year. <laughs> Go buffs. I don't take down the fishes. Uh Oregon State visits Utah. Tough turnaround for the Beavs, uh, who were oh so close to getting it done at home yeah. against the Trojans. It looked like a really fun environment that all of the national reporters were were mocking all game long because they couldn't watch it because it was on Pac twelve networks. Yeah. Um, if this was in Corvallis, I'd take the Beavs, but I'm going Utes. 
It's tough. Mm-hmm. It's a, this is a tough draw for the Beavs. It's a ton of it's a ton of points for how Oregon State has played. Utah by ten and a half. Yeah, I'm going Utes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm going to say Oregon State covers that. I haven't seen anything from the Beavers' defense to make me think that they can't stay within two scores of somebody, even Utah, even on the road. And I'm also just trying to make up some ground on you in the standings, so I'm going to go. <laughs> you're only one game back. Can't start chasing. You're like the <laughs> no, you're like the coach that starts going. Well, actually, I like the coaches that start going for two. I'm I'm not though. I'm I'm I, I like I do like the Beavs here. Um, Stanford visits Oregon in the late game, eight o'clock. Oregon. Yeah, I have there's, not even seen yeah. a line, but uh, yeah, there's there's not there's not a spread that would get me to bet on that stand. That's a, unless they were playing Colorado or Arizona. Sixteen and a half. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, like Washington thinks it has its its history with Stanford. It's kind of been the same sort of bugaboo for the Ducks. I mean, yes. that's, that's been a team where no matter no matter where either program is at in terms of the standings or how good you think they are, like there's always. Uh, Seems like Stanford comes up and bites them, sort of similar not, to Washington. Not this Stanford team. No, I um, I like Oregon and the points there, um, especially. I mean, I think they, in the span of what five minutes of game time, they went from you're looking at two and two, and you just dropped your conference opener, to oh wow, this offense can be really explosive against what a lot of people thought was a pretty good defense, and like pull out this pretty gutty win on the road. Um, so I, I think I think the Ducks are feeling good about themselves. I think they've got a lot figured out offensively the past few weeks, and Stanford um, Stanford does not look very good. Nope that defense is that defense is bad. Uh, the Huskies are favored by three and a half. Go dogs! I'm going to take Washington also. <clears throat> Just um, I do think this is going to be tough. I think they're probably going to face some. Adversity <laughs> on the road for the first time against a team that again, I mean, I think I think that run defense is really going to be tested. Stanford's running back, backup running back, went for 100 yards against them. By the way, now yes. I mean, the game was never really close, and they were in control, so you know it's not the same as your average 100 yard game. But against a really good back and a team that's gonna gonna be committed to the run and a quarterback who's really elusive and can create some things. Um, I've seen a lot of Husky fans like already kind of overconfident and like poo-pooing the three and a half point line. I don't know that that's necessarily warranted. Um, but no, I, I do we, think we, they'll cover. Yeah, there's no any Husky fan that starts crowing about being under underrated this year or not given the due respect should be slapped. Like that's in in general. Like you go four and eight last season. This team is eminently capable of of tripping over itself this year. There will be no there, there will be no snobbery this season. There will be no oh we're we're, we're underappreciated uh, talk this season. I'm um, I'm pleased to report uh, we're up to twenty seven five star ratings on Apple Podcasts and uh, sixteen five star ratings on on Spotify. Um, really appreciate everybody who's who's taking the time to rate and subscribe. Happy that that you're enjoying it. Um, we really like doing this. It's a lot of fun. If you haven't had a chance to go rate, subscribe, and, and maybe even leave us a review, um, that would be awesome. It helps people find it. Um, I'm writing this week on The Athletic, um, taking a look at, at just kind of how Washington's offense 
came together, all the all the personnel and, and scheme reasons and stuff that, you know, why is it so different from last year and, and how did the pieces fit together? Um, Danny, what do you got going on? Well, I, I'm going to I, I going to spend a chunk of this this week working on something for uh, Seattle Magazine. I also just finished a feature for them on on Nate Burleson for their upcoming issue. Oh, nice. Um, I'm I think I'm going to write about UCLA and what it's going to look like there on Friday night and how this is sort of the the false the false gold that gets trotted out in the name of advancing sort of the the television interests of college football like does it actually make it better for fans like if you're a ucla fan are you are you better off for what what's about to happen like because i i don't i don't think you are i think i think schools like ucla and nebraska certainly west virginia are are schools that have made decisions which they thought were in the best interest of their athletic department's bottom line that have completely undercut what were once very viable, um, even even prominent programs. And I, I think UCLA is headed down that path. So I think I'm going to rant and rave about that. I'm also going to try to track down the drone operator. Let so if you, got any, if, you got any, if you got any clues, you can, you can email me at danny at dannyoneal.com. It's very, very complicated. D-A-N-N-Y at dannyoneal.com. No apostrophe in there. Um, you can do that. Or if you want to send a suggested, uh, suggested job description, that will recite for me at the at the next on our next episode, um, the the most creative and cutting job description for me. We'll, we'll read that aloud for the next episode. I uh, I'm looking forward to a Friday night game. It opens up the weekend a little bit. Um, I know it's yeah. You got to be able to get back in time to watch this the Seahawks defense. Oh yeah, can't can't miss that. Um, looking forward to it. I'm I'm headed down to to Burbank. Thank Where do you God, stay when you go down there? For so, for Pasadena, I'm just staying at the Burbank Airport. Okay, um, Burbank's but, got a great airport. Oh, it's Burbank is an underrated best. airport. It's the Out, best. outdoor outdoor baggage claim. Um, yeah, I would fly I love... into any airport other than LAX. Like it, even if it were the even if Burbank was all like awful, like a terrible experience, as long as it was like small and easy to get through security, that's. That's enough for me. Um, LAX, LAX is, is, is truly terrible. Like, it's truly terrible. I had, yeah, somebody was explaining to me how it's going to be improved because they're going to have a, a, a public transit or some sort of transit system that takes you to the rental car center. I'm like, it's still trash. That airport sucks. The only problem, though, with Burbank, um, I don't think I'm going to be able to fit that drone in my carry-on. <laughs> Enjoy the game, everybody. That was well played.